Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down what friend of the pod and former guest Jerry Maravilla has been up to since we last talked to him about screenplay competitions, as well as pivoting career and craft expectations during a writer's strike. But before we dive in, remember that we release bonus content for every episode over on patreon.com slash breaking out pods. So if you want to support us and get yourself even more content, including the occasional nature photography exclusive just for you from Christina, definitely head to Patreon. Really quickly at the top of the show just because it 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 was weird timing based on our last episode in case anyone hasn't heard hi i'm brie and i just got laid off so we'll probably talk about that more in next month's episode when we talk to liz manishal um about freelancing um because that seems like a more relevant thing but it felt weird did not mention it so we are now um a fully ex seeden spark podcast <laughs> feels good to have jerry also an ex seeden sparker here now we can uh, just Fully talk shit. <laughs> yeah. So actually, I lied in the intro. Today is the tea. The tea on Seed and Spark. Probably in the future. No, it's fine. Everything's fine. But it just felt weird not to mention it because we just had like a mid-year update. And then one day later, I got laid off. So like, that's what's going on with us. But enough about me. Jerry's here. We want to talk to Jerry. He has a much more interesting thing, much more interesting things going on. So, hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm doing all right. My <laughs> condolences, uh, you know, being laid off is never fun. But, you know, I think that as creatives, you know, any opportunity we have to continue to pursue our main goal and passions is actually a blessing in disguise, no matter how scary or unstable it might feel. I, I, mean, I, that's, I what, yeah. that's what a creative career is, right? It's being constantly scary and unstable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't believe that it ever is anything but that, even for the people who claim otherwise. <laughs> I mean, how many stories have we heard since the strike came out about like people winning Emmys with negative bank account balances? Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part's kind of disillusioning because you know you always think that like if I could just get to this next career, mm-hmm. you know, benchmark or signpost, then like I won't have to worry about this. And it's like actually no, you will always have to worry about it. At least in the, with how unstable the industry is now. <laughs> Although you know, yeah. hopefully, hopefully something changes soon. We will know tomorrow if SAG is striking. Yeah. yeah. Once again, yeah. we're recording at a weird time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so well, like right. if something major happens, insert here from a future recording. But um anyway, so the last time, Jerry, that we talked to you was wildly long ago. I was not expecting it to be this long ago, but the last time we talked to you was April twenty twenty one. A very mm-hmm. different world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bygone era. For sure, yeah. I think uh, I was in the middle of project involved, but I could maybe not even announce it when we recorded. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I think it was super, super early days because the things that we actually talked about in that episode were uh, you were working on the Halloween Club graphic novel mm-hmm. uh, adaptation and you were outlining a thriller about LA's old movie palaces. Yeah. Those were, like, the two big things that like projects that we were talking about. So like any updates for either of those? For sure. So with the Halloween Club, you know, um, I went through the process of getting artwork, working with a great artist, Anastasia Longoria, and we put together a pitch packet and submitted to the major publishers. And I kind of learned that similar to filmmaking, that the publishers want people who are a bit more established mm-hmm. and want people who already have a record. And so since I'm a first time comic writer, 
was pretty ambitious for me to submit an original graphic novel having no connections to that industry. So I um, actually pivoted with the artist and we are um, going to be releasing it independently, but we're going to do it um, issue by issue. So we're working oh, on cool. the first issue now. Um, That's cool. And, uh, you know, the story has gone through some rewrites because based upon other experiences where I feel like I've improved as a writer. But um, our plan is to work on having that out in the fall, the first issue, and hopefully doing something like a Patreon um, or uh, some other format in which people can continue to support. Um, primarily getting her paid for her artwork, you know, issue sure. by issue. Mm. Um, because as I also worked on improving the story budgetarily it also grew and so you know comics sure. still feels like the best route um and uh yeah with my uh thriller it was beneath broadway which um i did a couple drafts of it as a feature but then also last year turned it into a pilot to develop it as more of like a mini series and took a class through script anatomy actually um the or tv drama writing class and that was really great because you know um tv writing was something that intimidated or scared me because i'd only ever written shorts and features i always try to think of endings first and then sometimes work backwards which seems counterintuitive to the idea of having a series engine so um so yeah so that's been really helpful as well too in terms of building up my portfolio but i've done you know other fellowships and programs since then and, and have other projects that i'm working on because it feels like you have to constantly have multiple things that you're juggling at at, at once and you know multiple i guess embers in the fire hoping that one ignites <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about Project Involve. What project were you in that with? What were the parameters of that project? What happened? Yeah, that was like, you know, I kind of felt like that whole fellowship in a way was like a, um, I'm trying to think of the term or the, the idea of like when, you know, when someone's like dying in, <laughs> in a medical drama and they like use that machine to like jumpstart their heart I the forget. defibrillator, defibrillator. yes yeah. i felt like getting into project involved was that for me creatively to be honest wow. because you know i was doing the competitions and, and and everything but it'd been a while especially with covid and stuff like that where i felt like i had done something that was taking a meaningful step forward and that was a fellowship i had wanted to be a part of for a long time this was it was actually my third time applying I had been rejected the first two times I had applied as a writer director the first two times though and then this third time mostly because of COVID I had applied just as a writer um and so when I got the interview I was like wait what I didn't ex <laughs> and then when they told me I got in it was very like I didn't expect it in that way, I was kind of trying to toughen that exterior armor for continued rejection. Yeah, I'd never been challenged like that as a writer in that program. You know, I think um, you go, when I did it, because they kind of shifted every year. When I went into it, we had to pitch multiple ideas, log lines, based upon a prompt of pivotal moments. And so the project that ended up being made was Calabasa, uh, which was a short film that I wrote in the program. Has such done the festival circuit last year, but I met a a lot of really wonderful collaborators in that process I think um, working on pretty tight turnarounds and for a while developing two scripts in the program and like having to jump back and forth because they were different tonally was uh, kind of was challenging but I felt like it showed me what I was capable of in a way that I didn't know and like once I learned that I couldn't unlearn it and so I just felt like I had to 
continue to push myself and grow. That's amazing. Yeah. So you finished the festival circuit. Um, you know, what What kind of was the result of that program? It sounds like networking went really well, giving you some creative sort of like new skills was really useful. Like, you know, what, what else can you say is like a postmortem from that process? Yeah, I don't know. I think there was part of me that was a little, I guess, disillusioned or jaded going into that program. Not that I was trying to be, but it was just like it felt like, okay, I'm only the writer and I have no control over who's going to maybe ultimately make my story. So I really tried to focus on how can I make this script as good as possible and then kind of let go. And it was a very personal script, which was difficult because it was based a little bit on personal experience and uh, experience of friends and family members, but about a Mexican-American punk rocker who um, is trying to have a girl over to carve pumpkins on a date, but has to deal with the fact and ha- trying to hide the fact that his father is an alcoholic. And so everything kind of comes to a head. And so, you know, it was a challenging script to write. It was an emotional script to write. But I was trying to like take a more like Zen or Buddhist approach at a certain point. I'm like, sure. okay, once it's done, you know, like those Buddhists who do like those intricate sand designs, right? And then once mm-hmm. they finish them, they completely like erase them. And I was like, okay, I think I need to have that uh, um, feeling. So I'm not disappointed or, you know have unrealistic expectations of what's going to come out of it. But I got so blessed in that program in that the it seemed like a lot of people who were of Latino descent gravitated towards that film and understood it in a way that I didn't necessarily expect people to understand. And um, we're also extremely collaborative. So like, you know, my, pro- the lead producer, Evelyn Angelica Martinez, like really taking forefront and then the director stephanie osinga hernandez like just taking a lot of care and really having a lot of passion for it and that wasn't something i was necessarily always used to to have such a big team of people and to have the resources and institutional support for something that was so personal and then that those friendships and collaborate collaborators are ones that like continue to this day where we can and we're also like friends and so mm-hmm. you know not everybody has the best experiences in these programs like it's some similar you know there's something about our industry that is very can be very, very like competitive and like kind of gross yeah. to in a way to me that I don't don't like but this was very much not that I got very f- blessed in that everyone was very collaborative and was I think Stephanie used to say it's like we all see the same movie in our heads and so that was really I feel very lucky that that happened you know I, I my producer would make fun of me because I feel like I was like when we were on set I'm like this is going so well like I feel like I'm always waiting for this other foot to drop and she's like why are you saying that like, <laughs> like, why, like why are you being so cynical here and I'm like I guess I guess I am being cynical and I should just appreciate this blessing. I've been conditioned that way. Have you not yeah. also been in this industry? Yeah, right? <laughs> it feels like every time something can go wrong, it will. I like Yeah. I remember when I made Cross and I was doing like my casting crew screening at the SAG Theater and I had all these people there and like the sound wasn't working. (laughs) That happened at a film festival I went to once too and it was excruciating. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's like I thought I'd, I'd already crowdfunded. I went through the process of making it took forever there were other hiccups adr stuff i had to do and then finally even at the screening there was like another mountain to climb so yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
never ends. I do think that's a good takeaway, though, Jerry, that like you obviously had a really wonderful experience, but that is not a guarantee and like something to just like be aware of in general, but definitely through like these like more collaborative programs where you're like being teamed up with other people who applied maybe for other roles within the program that like, you know, sometimes chemistry, regardless of talent, is the sort of decider of how your experience is going to be. And so like, just because one person had a really good experience, or alternatively, a really bad experience at a lab, a fellowship, whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that's indicative of the program. Sometimes it's just the people. And I'm that's true for jobs, too, right? Like, (laughs) you know, everything in the world is going to be like that. Some people have really good experiences at a company, some people don't. Most people don't at some companies, but point being is like you can't always 100% like base how you should expect a thing to go based on how other people have. So it's probably useful to get like a bunch of people's experiences. If everyone's experiences are good, oh, that's probably a pretty good hit rate. But, you know, definitely do your research and don't don't go in with so high of expectations that you're disappointed. For sure. Yeah, I think that program has has a good reputation. You know, people have been through it like Linda Chavez and Marvin Lemus from Hentified to I think John Chu did it a long time ago. And like there's been Lulu Wang and stuff like that. So like you can go in there very much like, okay, this is supposed to set up my career or something like that. And I think similar to what we even said at the beginning, like with the writer's strike and all the ups and downs, I'm like, I don't know, sometimes it feels like any movie that gets made and the people are all proud of it and they still really like each other feels like a little miracle in some ways. Yeah. Just because, especially in like, if you're thinking about stuff operating in a studio or network system, it's just like there are so many variables in there that you can't control for that. Like, you know, I think to have longevity, it's like trying to focus on what are the things that bring me joy that aren't attached to anybody else? (laughs) And like, can I hold on to those for myself? That's lovely. So have you worked with the people that you worked with on that project since then? Yeah, we de- we've been working on developing Calabasa as a feature. Um, you know, I think it was really encouraging on the festival circuit to see the response, especially from Latino audiences at the Latino film festivals. Like, you know, people who told me things like, oh, like, I saw myself in those characters. Or, you know, sometimes people shared some really personal details about their background and their life after seeing the film. And so um, I felt like there was more ground there to cover and so at first I was nervous but I started writing an outline and then it became like a 20 page outline and I'm like oh I think there's a story here then for me to expand upon so I've been working on that and then um Evelyn the producer uh she and I have a similar interest in like supernatural horror dark fantasy kind of elements that align with a lot of my other samples and so um, we've been developing a couple of short films and hopefully, uh, you know, I'm still like always hesitant to like say things because I am always waiting for that other foot to come down. But looking like we're shooting in August, a new short film, and it'll be my first time directing a narrative piece since before COVID. So like, I'm excited oh, wow. for that too. Yeah. So, congrats. Thank you. Also, can I just say that like you being a horror director and you, you making the adage the other foot to drop is so so funny to me because it's shoe most people would say shoe but like i am choosing to believe that this is like you putting your brand on it and i like oh yeah that's right (laughs) the other foot to drop like jerry what what do you mean you already have a disembodied foot what's going on over there 
It's a much more vivid one? and um, yeah. visceral <laughs> image of a foot dropping than a shoe, right? So, <laughs> I just I thought it was perfect. I thought it was very totally. cool. <laughs> I just I ha- I could not move on without having said something. There. No, that's so it's funny. It makes me think of like Nightmare Before Christmas, that part where it's like the kids asking if there's a foot in the stocking. Is, yeah. is still... <laughs> Which is also still very on brand for me, right? It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag know your brand. So have you done other competitions since then other labs other development programs yeah after last year i did one called hola mexico uh tomorrow's filmmakers today which was i think the first and only lab i've done which was like all that other latino filmmakers too which was also really refreshing and exciting it felt like movie boot camp though it was it was i think 12 days and like 20 features in 12 days plus 20 shorts plus meetings and you know workshops and stuff like that they brought people in from Sundance and NBC and uh Helmingrad uh we got to go to Disney to talk about their programs and stuff like that and um so that was very rewarding and it was for me being as a filmmaker uh you know I had to my, my partner would, would prod me because I was reluctant to say, but technically I had two films there because I had Galavasa there, which my producer also did the program with me. Um, but then they also screened Cross for me there as like a writer-director. And uh, it was just great to connect with so many different Latino filmmakers and to be in that. That program is very intense. It feels like movie summer camp. Um, even though it's in the fall, but like you really bond with the other people that you're in. And those those opened up new friendships and collaborations with people that even though we didn't make something together, we went through this shared experience and then got to see each other's work that created whole new um, collaborators and friends in the process. Um, so what was the goal of that program? Like, was it like pitches? Like, what was what it was you doing? Yeah, I think the goal of the Tomorrow's Filmmakers Today program is for other Latino creatives to connect with each other and basically like, these are your peers. So um, get to know each other's work, see who you resonate with, and then also providing access to uh, some of these institutions that you might not be able to get generals or have meetings with, you know, reps just by coming cold emailing or even having one or a few festival screenings. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits was the Academy uh, Museum here in Los Angeles. We got to tour that and, you know, learning about a lot of the resources that the Academy has. Like, you can request screenings of certain films from their archives and be able to, like, go and, like, see things and just, like, really wonderful resources that I didn't even know existed um, as not only a filmmaker, but also just like a film nerd of stuff that I can watch because not everything is on streaming, right? (laughs) Sure. That's very cool. Any other programs? And then this year, I mean, I've applied to different things. I've plenty of rejections. I just want to put that out there too. I've applied to a lot of things and been rejected from them still. So just because I got into Project Involve or got into Tomorrow's Filmmakers Today is not like everything opened up. Um, But I was able to participate in the Sinequanon Storylines Lab this year, which uh, is based in Michoacan, Mexico. Um, the lab, the Storylines Lab is specifically on Zoom, but it's to help you develop a feature film. And so um, I have 
a film that I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to make a film in Mexico. I just never had the right idea. And I was inspired a lot. And, th- and yeah, I think I landed on an idea from spending time with my nephew a lot that it has mm-hmm. to do with childhood and vampires and set in Mexico where I felt like I had more freedom as a kid to kind of like explore and run around because it's a small rural town. So that lab was also really wonderful in terms of pay- pairing you with advisors and mentors who would give you feedback on your treatment and ask you a lot of really hard questions before you've even done a draft that I think kind of help fill out the whole structure. And then you're kind of in it with other writers too and you're pitching and giving each other notes and feedback. When you get to know each other, it's pretty intensive for a couple of weeks. Um, We actually have a, a re, we have like one more meeting set in July where we're supposed to like reconnect and share updated treatment. So I'll be working on that in <laughs> the coming weeks. But that one was also was like a really fantastic experience too that I um, they have another lab too called the script revisions lab, um, where you actually get to go to Mexico, um, central Mexico, and have like a little mini retreat there that I've had other friends do and be a part of and they've spoken very highly of that. So putting that on my Maybe one day with, maybe when I get this draft done, I can submit to that lab next year. (laughs) Cool. Very cool. So what would you say is like your current goal for submitting to programs like this, to contests? Like, because it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is like generating work and networking, which is so cool. Is the, are those kind of the things that you were hoping for? Is just like, I want to be making more work. I want to be meeting new people or is like, you know. When you apply to something, what are you imagining is like your success metric beyond getting to say I got in? Yeah, I think it's definitely it's the generating work and networking because those are feel like the only things that you can control, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look at the strike, you know, some of these programs, you know, aren't open or you don't want to apply to them because you don't want to um, go against the WGA because what they're fighting for is what we all need to have this be sustainable. Um, And so what are the things I can control, right? It's like the work, you know, if I sit around and wait for someone to pay me to write something, I'm going to wait forever. (laughs) Um, And um, meeting the people who you want to work with or who kind of can keep you going, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like having writers, you know, after the Ola Mexico program, um, Sad, none of us got in, but we all worked together on like a Hillman grad, the Rising Voices app, where we all swapped scripts with each other and like helped each other on the applications and read each other's statements and stuff like that. And so, yeah, none of us got in and that kind of sucks, but we all got further and I think all of our projects are stronger. And instead of like feeling like giving up, I feel like we all are like, okay, so Rising Voices didn't work out, but like, what's the next thing we can apply to or how can we make this happen maybe without a fellowship or, or a program and you know it's just helpful to have other people who know your work or you know ask you hey what's going on with that story instead of you just taking that rejection in silence and then being like I guess it's not good enough <laughs> you know and doing the Charlie <laughs> Brown thing you know sure. sure um but you did say you just said waiting around for someone to pay you to write and you did get paid to write, though, right? Last year, you got a gig. Yeah, that's that true. That is also like one that came from networking and just having samples. Um, I took a a class through Roadmap Writers about pitching because I think that's something that I was so focused on the writing part of it that it's like, oh, 
how to pitch, how to talk about your work, how to make it seem exciting is a whole other skill that you as a writer need to have. And so um, I took their pitch, started with their pitch prep program. But in that, um, I met another writer who has a friend who was producing an independent horror film and they needed that producer wanted a writer to come in and rewrite and work extensively with him on on doing another draft of the project. And so she recommended me. And then I met with the producer and I don't know, that ended up working out. And I ended up getting my first like paid script job from that, which was really nice. And we're still working. We were still working on that. And I submitted my last draft to him right before the strike. Um, but it's like a uh, horror comedy that is... Um, so it's a little bit outside of, I do more, I guess, like horror drama or horror fantasy, but this was a really fun space to, to play in. And uh, But yeah, I submitted that last draft to the producer uh, before the strike started, and now we're just kind of waiting and holding, because even though neither of us are in the WGA, you know, we don't want to do scab work. We want to wait and support what the writers are doing, and the plan is to pick it up once um that settles and, and, and take it out to different production companies. Very cool. Yeah. Do you think that your previous sort of getting accepted into these fellowships and wins at competitions played a role in being selected as the writer for this role, just job? Or was it like purely your samples and knowing the right person? I think it's a combination of both. Like I feel like knowing one, it's like having additional vetting in a way, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like having a resume and instead of having like, oh, my friend thinks that you would be great for this job. It's like, oh, my friend thinks you would be great for this job and look at this experience, you know, mm-hmm. and then also having a sample. It's like, I wish it could be. I mean, sometimes people luck out. You know, there are definitely stories of people who just know the right person at the right time or have the right sample at the right time. Um I haven't experienced that, so I just mm-hmm. felt like it was, it was like trying to have as many different things in my favor as possible. Um, definitely, it's like you don't know when an opportunity might come, but the more you can like have prepared or make yourself ready for that opportunity, I think is is part of it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's cool. And and so you you said you were coming in to rewrite, like there was already a script and you you're kind of like taking the second and et cetera pass. What was that experience like? Like, how did you approach that differently than you normally would with something that was all yours? Yeah, I was nervous because I hadn't really done that before, but uh, ended up being really fun. I keep equating it to when I've talked to friends and stuff, it's like coming in and like being able to play with someone else's toys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, they did, they have a set parameters of what it was. And um, the producer and the writer who wrote the first draft and came up with the idea, um, Jack Ireland has been a really great collaborator. Um, I just asked him a ton of questions because I think what it was for me was to really understand what are you trying to communicate here? And like, who are these people? I think those are the two things of how I approach every project, I think, that helped me at least make decisions. I don't know, when I look at a blank page, it's like, it can be anything and everything. And so how do you like parse that down? And it's like, okay, well, like, what are we trying to communicate? And then like, who are the people that we have that are trying to communicate this? And so um, it was really just, I spent like one 
or two afternoons just asking questions and taking notes and talking things through. And then I, I went on and just wrote on my own based upon that and submitted it to him. And then, you know, he had really great feedback and ideas and stuff that continued along that. And so it was just a little bit of a back and forth on, on that front until, um, you know, the strike. And then well, I'll just, we'll just continue doing that. But yeah, it's like, oh, I wouldn't come up with this necessarily on my own but i have ideas it's almost like you're watching a movie and like you get to rewrite it or be like oh i think this character would do this instead you know so it, it was really fun that's kind of like what that's christina cool. and i's process was when we were writing our script is like yeah, christina yeah. would do, say something and i was like wow i would have never come up with that that's fucking perfect it's yeah how was your magic. guys's process for for doing <laughs> that because and had you worked I know, Christina, you worked with writers and stuff like that on your projects and stuff before, but doing a feature is different and doing it when you're in other parts of the country is also a different challenge. Yeah, I mean, it was it's, it was different because I when I had worked with writers in the past, it was, it was really just Kelsey Robert, and she would write something and I would direct it, and it was like a clear line of like, if I want to cha- make a script change, I would make, I would give a note to her and she would make a rewrite or whatever. And then last year I did actually, she and I wrote, co-wrote together for the first time, but we did it in 12 hours. It was like a really weird exercise where she was stuck at an airport. She was going home to Switzerland and at the airport extremely early. So she was there for 12 hours. And we had an idea that we had been like kicking around for a while, but didn't really take to the page. And I was like, let's just like try and be in write or duet at the same time and like bounce scenes back and forth and so she wrote the first 10 pages and then I went in and was like editing them and then by the time I caught up with her she had written more and so then I was like go back and read what I just edited and then I'll take off from where you left off and it became this like really weird bouncing around where at the end of it we had like a very short 65 page feature um, and then she got on her flight went to Switzerland and that was interesting and like chaotic and and fun because it was like I I like pressure and that felt like there was pressure because like we're trying to win at something like we're gonna complete a thing in this twelve hours it was so it was very sort of unruly and spoken like a director <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but then Bree and I. I think like did a similar thing, but without the chaos. So we like mm-hmm. were much more structured. We had a very, very detailed um, treatment that was like, this is the story we're trying to tell. This is every like beat by beat what's going to happen. And then we pretty much took turns between nine and 15 pages at a time. And we would like rewrite each other, but it was like lines here and there. Or if it was like an extensive rewrite of a scene, then we would leave each other notes. And um, and yeah, I think we did it pretty quickly, but it was over the course of like, I don't know, a week or two maybe once we actually got to writing. Yeah, I feel like we took way more time with the outline than we did the actual draft. Yeah. Because like, you know, it's a mystery, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, and you've read it, you you know the, yeah. the script. And so like it we just it, it was both a mystery but then the complicated aspect of like why at any given time one of them wants to work on the mystery versus other things. Like mm-hmm. both of those were things that need to be seeded throughout. So like we really mm-hmm. needed to have a clear cut idea of like what is going on in their careers, what is going on with the murder investigation because otherwise I don't think we would have written it that fast but then yeah once we started <laughs> totally. writing it I was probably like two weeks all, all all told and 
Yeah, and and like we would give each be like, okay, you have te- you have a week to do your ten pages, but then we would both end up doing it in like two days. So then we would right. bounce it back much faster because there was this. It was interesting, like, I think we talked about this in our last episode or some recent episode where we would be inspired by each other's pages. So there wasn't, like, this, you like, you hit a wall and then you don't know how to keep going. When that would happen, we just toss it off. And so yeah. then when you get it back, it's, like, it's not your wall that you're getting. You're getting someone else's wall, but you're inspired by it. So, so yeah, it was a really cool experience. It's, it was born out of creative frustration and so then like trying to channel that energy into something else to become obsessed with but then it really like didn't become a thing we were writing until we were both in better better places emotionally and mentally that we were like we can actually like turn this into a story the end of 2021 was rough because like i was coming out of my last semester as an adjunct uh, i didn't know it was going to be my last semester as an adjunct until the end of that semester and then i was like i can't fucking do this anymore so like i had had like six jobs over the course of that time you were trying to move and well i had yeah i was like we had been looking since August and getting outbid. We had been through like three or four houses at that point getting outbid or wow. one house was filled with mold. And and so it was like just disappointment after disappointment. And then also my career was not moving. So I was feeling just like stuck, just completely stuck. It was a weird time. And, <laughs> and uh, but it eventually led to this script. What I think helped is that the characters are like heightened ridiculous versions of us but they mm-hmm. are ultimately versions of us and so it was very easy to answer what would motivate someone in any given moment like i would have that answer for the character asha and brie would have it for joe and and so it was like i don't know it just kind of poured out of us in a way because it was coming from this authentic place even though it's completely absurd mm-hmm. it did get confusing sometimes though because um or too real because sometimes we would be like talking about the outliner we'd be talking about a scene and one of us would go well so when you say this yeah. instead of the character <laughs> name i actually like, had that question like would you ever try to rewrite <laughs> each other's dialogue be like no you say it more like this. <laughs> <laughs> i think i rewrote a couple of my own dialogues yeah, um, yeah. and i mean we wrote each other's dialogue but it was it was so like Brie and I are talk all the time right we talk all the time we're pretty used to each other's voices and ultimately like these are not us sure you know Mm -hmm. they're much more they're much more like bitter I would say than we both are and so it was easy to like it's the worst versions of ourselves yeah it's like tap into but it doesn't have to be authentic it was also because it was like who are these I don't think their dynamic is exactly mine Brie dynamic so Mm -hmm. it's it was it was easy to separate. And as we did more actual, like, further work into the script itself, they we started to distance ourselves even more. And it got better when it was like, okay, let's not be concerned with, like, how they're coming off in this moment because it's not us, you know? And mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, like, such an interesting experience because usually when I – for me personally, I very – the stuff I'm writing does come from a personal place, but it always gets coded in like so much subtext and so many, and the characters that get kind of like plopped on top of that are so not me. There'll be pieces of me, but they're not me. But this was like so personal, at least like from a starting point. So it was a very different experience, but in a way made it a lot easier to get it out and and to feel, I don't know, I think it's interesting, like the feedback we've gotten from you and from the few, few other people that have read it so far, some of these like lines really, really land with them because it is coming from such a, 
an authentic and specific frustration as a creative in the film industry, trying to work in the film industry, trying to break in, trying to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the frustration is the most authentic part of the script. The decision make, the bad decision making, and and dis- <laughs> you know perhaps is not, but like no matter how wacky we let ourselves get, like at the core was like our deep irritation and frustration at an industry that does not have to be this hard, but mm-hmm. is for some fucking reason. And like, and and for who it's, who it's, you know, built for and who, sure. mm-hmm. who gets to navigate it with ease, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But yeah, like with that, you know, in some ways the strike came at a good time for us to have to reevaluate because like, I don't actually know what a, a you know contest run for this script is going to look like like we've yeah we've talked a lot about how like you know so much of the script is like a direct sort of shot across the bow of institutions that are Mm. the ones in charge of a lot of these programs so like you know the original idea for this episode was going to be us talking about like what contests we would want to submit to and what like fellowships and and we were kind of like none because they would all (laughs) hate that we're making fun of them or like criticizing their, you know. I mean, sometimes that they, you want to believe say. that these places have a sense of humor about themselves, sure. but maybe they don't. I don't know. I think. Well, the thing I think about that though is like it has to get past that first reader, and who is that first reader? Mm. And so often I think that first reader is who we're also kind of like throwing shots at with the script, Mm -hmm. like the film bros of the world, you know? So yeah, it's kind of like, would it get past that first person to even be read by someone who has the nuance and like will get what we're playing with? Um, I I think the blacklist is probably our best first bet because like, I don't know if the readers will get it, although I'd be so curious to see what like, our rating would be if we paid for a couple of reviews. But I also think that like the blacklist is a, is a platform and a series of contests that seems to sort of pride itself as being like countercultural and like outside of the machine to help you get into the machine. And like, I don't know how much that's actually true, but that does seem to be like their branding. And like anytime Franklin Leonard, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Anytime he does like a Twitter thread, like that seems to be what he imagines his company being so i i feel like that's that's like the first one that comes to mind for me as an option but yeah other post, than that post strike i guess sure yeah <laughs> yeah well i think you know i think in and you guys are reminding me that in some ways my mentality around some of these competitions has changed in a certain way in that i think that i know i i look at them primarily as just additional like ways you can give yourself traction but i don't see any of them as a key to breaking into a larger career because it feels like in my experience there's less evidence i have that there's like one big step forward it's like all these tiny steps that somehow end up making sense five years down the line that you didn't even like understand would be connected at the time Mm -hmm. you're just like trying to to do that you know it's like I took you know like the roadmap writers thing I got I mean I learned about roadmap writers from a competition that I put a short film and I made it into the top 25 of their competition in 2020 and then learned about their programs and then decided to pay for the class and then 
met the person there who connected me to the producer who I did the rewrite job for. So it's like, I don't know how I, I when I submitted to that competition, that's not what I had in mind. Um, I think it's also very true. No matter what you're writing, you are so at the mercy of whoever your first reader is. Yeah. And I feel like you guys hit on something that I think maybe it sounds like cliche, but I think it's super true that like the best writing comes from a very specific place, but then you're like counting on someone to understand that specific place Mm -hmm. that you're coming from. And you have no control over who that first reader is for, they may hate the film industry and love that part, but they may hate mysteries. And it's like, okay, well, we're screwed, (laughs) you know? Or it's like (laughs) some of the stuff, you know, like they may not, resonate with horror stuff at all you know and i'm writing like a vampire story and they'd be like oh well i hate vampires i'm like okay well you know not for you uh got no control on that end so you are kind of acquiescing or giving over a certain level of agency if you depend upon those things to really do that i found like the only way i've been able to i guess survive creatively and maybe emotionally is to just keep like creating writing stuff and submitting for different things that feel like could be interesting opportunities but you know the more things you have going on the less you can focus on any singular rejection you know and it's like Mm -hmm. okay that one didn't work out let me like where's this one at you know and kind of that focus it's it's tiring and I'm sure I'm gonna hit a point where I'm like look I've written like three features and, and this pilot and how many shorts and like, please, God, some, <laughs> something <laughs> happened. But, you know, uh, while I have the energy and the tank and the ideas are still coming, why not put that energy into the process itself? Sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I also think for our script, like, I, I had briefly pitched Christina the idea of talking about like on this podcast because this podcast that we're recording right now has evolved a lot since we originally were like Jerry come back on the podcast mm-hmm. and I was like should we talk about like what our goals with submitting the script in the first place would be like what do we want to do with this because it's way too big to produce independently I think I think we can both agree that you know I realistically short of like legit money laundering I don't, I don't know if we would be able <laughs> to like realistically fundraise this but also like it is such a takedown of so many industry processes that like who's gonna give us money to make it so like I don't know right have you thought anymore Christina like for you what is the goal of this I'd love to make it but I don't think it's like a break in script it's Mm -mm. a script you get permission to make once you've broken in like Do you know what I mean? Like you're allowed to skewer the, you're allowed to like bite the hand that feeds you because you're like still gonna get to, because you get, you still have to thank and credit the hand for your success. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But you're not allowed to like, you're not gonna get in with this thing because you are nobody and like nobody but wouldn't cares. Wouldn't it be right? a great so. story? That was the first one. <laughs> the course. other trouble is that like we're both writer directors and like this is something yeah. that I run to run into a lot because pretty much all of my friends are writer directors. It's really hard to collaborate with other writer directors. Like, would mm. you know, in our idealized world, are we co-directing? I've never co-directed anything. I don't even know. I've never how co-directed that anything either. But I feel like for for the spirit of the thing and to like fully complete the like I don't know the the, cycle yeah it's like what it started as and what 
what its intention is, it, we would have to co-direct, even if it was a shit show. But like logistically, <laughs> what does that look like? I have no idea. I've never done it either. But like, you know, the Coen brothers can do it. We can do it. Yeah, and the Daniels. Like I, I <laughs> sure, was thinking exactly, about that earlier. The Daniels, yeah. But like, do you know what their? Does, do you either of you know what that process is like? like I know what? that the Coen brothers. I remember I read an interview with them once, and one of them is like the person that talks to the actors, and the other one is all about the camera and and the like mood and tone, and like that they don't step on each other's toes in that way. Interesting. Mm. That would be very hard for me. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> but, we both of us like actors. We both yeah. of us want to talk to the actors. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah. So it would have to be, obviously, we're not there yet, Bree. So, like, we'll deal yeah, with it. Yeah, but I like we'll to cross think about that bridge. Like, what else am I doing? I'm unemployed. I think, though, my, my <laughs> ideal scenario, though, my ideal scenario is that my fucking film actually gets made, the one that I I've been working on for, like, mm-hmm. two will. years of, de- nearly will. two years of development at this point. And that getting made and getting out there then is like okay what else what do you want to make next like show me what you've got and then i have people i can present this script to that is but of course like if we're living in the world of this industry and the world of the script then i would probably get boxed in and they would be like you're not allowed to make a mystery (laughs) because now you're only allowed to make happens in the script (laughs) monster (laughs) horror comedies that's literally a conversation that your character has with her manager in the script like yeah "Mm, but you don't get anyway that's that's what i am hoping for at this point is like eye in the sky yeah, because I mean, I just like my my film has to fucking happen. It's been there are people that are that have spent a lot of time, some big people involved that have spent a lot of time developing it with me. That I just have to believe that they're like in it. And the strike definitely complicates things. But I'm hoping on the other side, I'll get to make my movie, and that's like that's all I can really focus on. But of course, writing, I'm still. I want to make the writing of a thing as strong as possible so that when I get to the other side of this movie that I feel compelled to fucking finally make, <laughs> that I will have like really quality good stuff to be like, this is what I want to do next with. Well, um, I think, oh, I pretty much know you will make that movie regardless <laughs> of what happens. Because once you spend like that many investment and knowing you and the way you've already made stuff, like you're trying it this one new way and... We'll see what happens, but, um, and I'm hoping for the best, you know, because you deserve it. But at the same time, if something goes haywire, like, I still imagine you making it. I don't think you're, you're going to let that stop you. I feel like I've come to an understanding just from talking to you guys is I think that the only way I've been able to stay sane in this industry in some way was um, I tried to focus, the more I, like, focused on process more than anything else at least for my own personal creative process the less insane I felt in some way because you guys Mm -hmm. were talking about how it might work for you two to direct you know together and how maybe how the Coen brothers do it or how the Daniels do it or I mean isn't there another duo's name I'm forgetting who did like Little Miss Sunshine and stuff like that too like the Wachowskis did it together I was just gonna say like my like literal mentor for this yeah yeah the Wachowskis I could probably ask her but I think it's different for everybody in the same way that's like, well, how do you write a feature script? And it's like, I, it's like you can kind of, I feel like it's something that people have to like figure out on their own, which is like the hardest thing to mm-hmm. be like, these are some things to try, you know? But I think the, the more that I was like, all right, the less I tried to judge 
whatever it was going to take for me to reach the finish line, you know, <laughs> like the better, mm-hmm. because then I'm like not getting stuck in the machinations of an industry and like this giant machine that no one seems to be in control over. Like the only thing I'm in control over is like how I create and I needed to embrace how chaotic and messy and nonlinear and weird it might be to somebody else. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, like, but I'm producing stuff. Like there's scripts. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, there's also this other pain of like, you can write and write and write and then nothing gets made. Then you're like, what the hell? And, um, uh, as well. But, um, at least I think that just like, trying to have more curiosity and fascination with like what is my process even look like or what's going to get this thing done and trying to enjoy that even in its painful moments and you know every project feels different too of like what that journey and what that process is going to be because I've tried to replicate it and then I end up more frustrated and I was like oh no I can't do that I gotta do something different this time mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of thinking about it yeah. I, now that I have all this time on my hands, who knows <laughs> what I'll do? Like, cause I, God, I miss being on set. I'm so jealous that you're about to direct something for the first time since the pandemic. Me I, too. <laughs> I know. I, I keep forgetting how much talking is involved in directing, even just in the yeah. prep part. <laughs> you know, when you're writing something, you're just like in it, and it's just you, and you're just trying to communicate an emotion or motivation, and then it's like. You know, but what kind of black jacket are you talking about? I'm like, oh shit, yeah, all right, yeah, I remember. This is part of it. I gotta, I gotta hone in here. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like I'm speaking another language in these prep meetings I have with my DP, bless her, uh, Maricela Mendez. Uh, I feel like I've read something and I'm like, yeah, I see it so clearly. And then as I'm trying to like communicate that out loud, I realize all the ways in which it's not clear, you know, or how like. <laughs> I'm taking an image that's in my head and like trying to explain it to somebody with words is very difficult sometimes. And that's why I'm a big fan of prep uh, uh, as well too, because I don't know how people feel like they can just like go in and wing it and be on the same line of communication with everybody. Madness. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like a a breaking in production if we were co-directing, I think it would be similar to our writing process where we do a lot of like pre-production yeah. And then sprint to the end of the writing of mm-hmm. the actual filming process. That would probably be the best solution. Okay, so just to, to pivot us right back to pivoting, the strike happened recently. The yes. strike mm-hmm. is still happening currently. A lot of things are on pause. Mm-hmm. Um, job hunting is very difficult. Continuing to work on existing projects is very difficult. So you've made a, a recent pivot. You're you're back in the world of nine to fives, or you know a, the version of nine to fives that exists for millennials now. So what are you up to right now? What yeah. was the job hunting process like? Yeah, throughout the pandemic, I was freelancing as an impact producer and distribution consultant, and then that ended about the time I was doing the Ola Mexico fellowship, which was a very demanding fellowship. Like you needed to be there, like. It's like a 12 hour day. Um, So I didn't look for new clients. And then that got rough around the holidays when no one is working in our industry. Um, And then Mm -hmm. the new year started and I was, you know, I had savings and was kind of balancing that. Um, And then I had the paid rewrite gig, which, and then I was doing some mentorship program with Film Independent for high school students. So there was like some income kind of coming in, but I needed something more stable. And so, uh, 
it was a weird roundabout way, but like initially I applied for a job at Coverfly. Speaking of competitions, I was like, oh, there's an there's an artist like coordinator position here. Like I could do that. Um, I didn't get it. But then I learned in this world of corporate consolidation that Coverfly is owned by Backstage, which is owned by Casting Crew. And Casting wow. Crew also owns a bunch of companies. So then I got reached out to for a job at Final Draft and I interviewed for that one and I just didn't feel like the right fit. Um, and then they reached out to me again and offered me a position at Backstage doing business development, um, which is really working on uh, facilitating their education relationships on the West Coast primarily, um, you know, offering the service to students, teaching them about like how to, you know, the ins and outs of casting on Backstage, how to work, you know, set up auditions, that kind of stuff. And that felt like a natural inclination of our connection. and. It came at a time like one, I was offered the job like one month into the strike. And I'm like, oh, nice. being an offered a job in the entertainment industry during the strike, like this feels, I, I'm going to take it, you know, because I think I've also learned for myself that it's hard to creatively ideate when you're always worried about survival, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and some people, you know, some people love that pressure and they can excel in that I like a little bit of if I'm constantly having to worry where my next you know rent is coming from then that becomes my focus I can't focus on in the world of vampires and like sure. uh, portals to hell and all the other other fun stuff I want to think about um, <laughs> and so um, yeah I just started with backstage uh, a month ago um, and it's been good so far really great uh, experience to get started and I think I've now spent the majority of my adult life working positions which are not the ideal thing that I want to do but I think I also hopefully have more realistic expectations I think the more I like fell in love with different writers or creators or artists and you really start to unpack their stories like none of them really made a living just doing art or if they did mm-hmm for the entirety of their career, like that happens to very, I feel like few people. Uh And I think, you know, something about like realizing that like something like even like a writer like Toni Morrison, like, right, like she would wake up at 5 a.m. and she had a daughter and she would write before going into her job or Philip K. Dick who developed an amphetamine addiction just so he could stay up all night and and write uh, and work and like never sleep. And so it's like, oh, those are like two incredible writers who I really respect and admire their work or has influenced me. Um, And they had to have day jobs. So there's no shame in a day job either. You know, whatever Uh you got to do to whatever's going to make the creativity happen is just part of it. And I want to (laughs) be able to like distance myself from a more, I guess, capitalist mindset of being defined by however it is I survive, because that is... And I think it's been helpful to have, you know, more than 10 years working where no matter what job I've had, whether it's been an office PA for It's Always Sunny or the head of crowdfunding or a distribution consultant or a screenwriting mentor in the youth cinema project, like, there've always just been one part of me. And the thing that's been consistent in my life since I was a child was wanting to tell stories. And so it's easier to lean into that part of myself, despite where what's paying my bills. I think that's a really lovely way of thinking about it. Yeah, it's lovely. 
And that's something that definitely has shifted for me in recent years, too. Like, you know, I I spent a lot of time thinking that even if I wasn't in my dream job, like, you know, whatever job I was working had a tendency to take me over entirely. And it wasn't until like probably the last two-ish years at Seed and Spark that I had to start kind of like <laughs> disassociating from that version mm-hmm. of me. You know, they call mm-hmm. it quiet quitting, which I find just so infantilizing and condescending. But like truly, you know, unless it's your company and even sometimes not then, like e- even if you like the people you work with, the company doesn't care about you. And especially like there's only so much that you can be expected to give and that you should expect yourself to give. Sometimes it's like you got, you genuinely do have to learn to pick your battles, especially at work, especially in a thing that you don't want to be doing. Like sometimes I would find myself like getting all worked up about something that had gone wrong or like some frustrating meeting. And then I would like take a step back and be like, I don't even like that work. Like, I don't even care about this. Like, if I took one step backwards, it's like, this doesn't matter. Why am I putting so much emotional energy into this that then exhausts me for the rest of the day and I don't have time to do anything? Like, that's no way to live. So, like, why am I spending all of this energy on pointless nonsense when Mm -hmm. I could get paid the same amount to not let it phase me? And so, Mm -hmm. like, that was something that I had... I had to really like train myself to do because every once in a while, you know, when you're a person who's passionate about things and who cares about things, like I know all three of us are, sometimes you get wrapped up in like, oh, but I, I have a great idea. And then you have to sort of like remind yourself, okay, we can put a little energy into this, but if we're not getting the energy back, then we need to cut it off Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's not healthy. Yeah. I think that's what, one of the things I try to be mindful of is like, what, what deserves to have all of me and like very yeah. few things do yes you know very mm-hmm. few things mm-hmm. do and like i one of the things that's it's difficult with meme culture because i saw something online that i really liked but now i don't know who to credit it to but it was like <laughs> when you said the word dream job and like somebody's like i don't like dream job like silly I don't dream of labor. yeah i don't dream of labor yeah. you know and it's like it's like so true like we're we're we've been conditioned to really feel like what we do is our defining characteristic and everything it is our identity yeah it it is our identity and you know i think that um people are so much more than that and hopefully if we can have more spaces where we can see each other beyond just like little capitalist money-making machines you know i mean I mean, we're going to need it with AI, right? Uh, we're going to have to figure some other meaning of life besides labor. So <laughs> Now that I have been like back on the job hunt slightly, like the number of positions that are marked as writer but are like AI editor positions makes my fucking blood boil. Like yeah. I cannot believe, and I guess I can, but I also can't how many of these are there that are out there. Like it's, it's infuriating yeah. reading through these job descriptions and it's like, if you're spending this much money to get somebody to edit your stupid robot, maybe just like cut the middleman out and get rid of the robot. The robot seems yeah. like the problem here. Well, that's a whole technology mm-hmm. theory too, right? I've heard, I think, was it Huxley or some other writer talked about how like with technology, like every problem it solves, it just creates a new problem, right? Because like if you create a machine <laughs> yeah. to fix something, then you need someone to know how to fix that machine. <laughs> right when it breaks down <laughs> yes um, exactly and so there's always like a cost benefit i think that i get frustrated with like this techno utopian idea that i felt like really took hold in the late 2000s you know like 
oh, look at the democratization of all this technology or social media is going to connect everybody. And now we've lived through the last 10 years of like, you know, all the negative sides of that, too. So I think we should all be a little bit more mindful and cautious when thinking that we're just going to like tech our way out of our human condition. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also so much of the tech utopia is like dependent on the concept that once a robot takes a job, the humans don't need to work, but they get to survive in luxury. And like, that's not how it is. It's the robots are taking our jobs, but you're still expected to work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what kind of fucking utopia? Well, it's it's not that you're like, it's not that you're expected to work. It's that this is a, this is still a society that thrives on money and you need a way to earn money mm-hmm. <laughs> because otherwise you starve and don't have a home. Yeah. And so it's so who's like who's benefiting from the AI shareholders and that's it. And they don't do any work. So like Right. So it's just like, yeah, I mean, then you need to just completely pivot our individualist shitty capitalist society into a communal like yeah. take care of each other ethos that is totally not america and american so mm-hmm. yeah was it uh lola sent me this my, my partner she sent me this instagram video that was just like a seal lying in the sun on the shore and it looked like it was the most peaceful thing and i'm like why like we've made everything so much more complicated than it needs to be totally, like, totally. <laughs> like one of my favorite joys is having like my morning coffee and sitting in our patio and getting the sun and i always think of that seal when i'm doing it and i'm like yeah. Like, we, do we need more than than this? I mean, it's fun <laughs> and there's cool, but like, do we really need it? You know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I mean, for me, like, I obviously have the privilege of having a partner who has a good income, and so that like allows the big change that I made la- last year. But since moving to live in nature, it's been a huge mental health shift for me and Mm -hmm. and perspective shift um but yeah i mean that's not something everyone can do because if you need a job that still requires you to physically be there then the jobs are in cities and Mm yeah and sometimes Um, you're allergic to nature christina check (laughs) your privilege look i (laughs) sit inside and stare at the prettiness i rarely actually go out no stretchy but i'm not the windows (laughs) but i vicariously live through christina's cat and other cats online because as much as i love animals i'm allergic to cats and so i'm so allergic to cats and all of my friends have cats (laughs) my brother has cats it's madness they're all trying to kill me (laughs) these these cat people are trying to murder me white lotus jeff yeah (laughs) all right so we've gotten very off topic (laughs) Which is, you know, far for the course. This is why we have our friends on the podcast, so yeah. we can talk to them. I guess we, since since Jerry's just going to be here for the whole episode, maybe do we want to end with with segments? Sure. Because like officially, one of our our segments is drama alert because we used to like wait till the end of the year to do our Twitter screenwriting Twitter like mentions, oh. but now they're but now screenwriting Twitter is dead because of a strike and Elon Musk. So I mean, I feel like that way Twitter a lot of the ways feels dead. Like I I used to probably be on there more than I should admit and now I'm like barely ever on there every time I'm mm-hmm. like, like yeah even like before I would use sometimes you would see like interesting replies or like conversations but now since they just was it prioritize the blue check marks and yeah. people who pay for Twitter like ugh, you know it's like I don't it's care completely it's yeah. yeah it's completely well and like so once many like left. once also once Elon Musk decided that it would be 
DeSantis hour. It was like, well, and and isn't and the, then it failed. Yeah. But, <laughs> and Tucker Carlson's show is on Twitter now. Yeah, it's it, like, like okay, so this is a, this is a right wing space. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. officially, it is a right wing space, and that's so unfortunate. But yeah, deeply yeah. unfortunate. But the segment that we do have that is relevant to all is our buds segment. So the, this is the segment where we talk about things that are coming up that we're excited about, be them things that we're working on or media that we're looking forward to or just life things that you know are coming up and that you are eagerly anticipating. So uh, let's put you on the spot, Jerry. Do you have any buds coming up? I guess directing no. this short is a is a, <laughs> is a bud. You know, I think um, it's really nice to have this supportive team and to be able to get back into directing and to do something um, really in the genre that I've been writing in and loving since I was younger. So um, it's, you know, I, I think I always have to remind my, my producers, I'm always like telling them like, it's really happening. You know, <laughs> like it feels bizarre, but it's really happening. And uh, I'm really excited for that. All right. That's great. Christina? Well, my birthday's next week, though it will have passed by the time this comes out. But I guess I'm just looking forward to that because I feel like every birthday is like a refresh in a way like new year new energy whatever do you have any fun plans so friend of the pod brian kramer is coming to visit and possibly chris carroll my childhood friend who i've mentioned sometimes Mm. in early early episodes well they're gonna be here for the weekend and so we're gonna do a bunch of stuff but including going to friends of the pod kelsey and danny's house for them to meet their baby river yeah so i'm looking forward to that and then also the class i was supposed to be teaching this month got delayed a month because everyone who wanted to sign up was like june is impossible um because of like graduation parties and wedding season and whatnot and so they were like okay we're gonna push it to mid to late july to start and it'll run through august instead so i'm looking forward to that unless it gets postponed again <laughs> but yeah cool I yeah you, my buds well the first one is uh hopefully getting our table read scheduled because we're trying to do a table read for breaking in to actually hear it out loud oh uh, cool although like our who are you gonna cast three... <laughs> 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 well, we, well so we have people who have agreed to be cast the problem is they all have opposite schedules yeah it's impossible. Oh. like I've, I've made a calendar of all the conflicts and like <laughs> it's but my butt is that it will eventually come together because people seem genuinely get, excited to do it. You'll get an invite, Jerry. Yes, yes definitely, point. Jerry. You're getting an invite. If we can ever find the perfect two and a half hours in the next three months to put it together. Um, Another directing headache. I forgot the logistics of that schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, we can't submit it for anything. So it's like, well, what's the next logical step once we've done rewrites is, well, let's hear it out loud. Let's get our actor friends together, blah, blah, blah. So I think that when that happens, which I have to believe, positive thinking, it will. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also, like, not for nothing, looking forward to not having a job for a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you yeah. both had your own experiences leaving Seed and Spark. Mine was, I guess, non-consensual in a whole new way. However, 
God, it couldn't have come at a better time. I'm really kind of glad that I'm not there anymore for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to having for the first time in many, many years, a little bit of time. Because like the last time that I had a job transition, it wasn't officially a layoff, but like the last startup I was at lost their funding and I wasn't being paid for the past, the like last couple of months that I worked there. So like functionally, I was laid off. And like when that happened, I did not have the savings account that I did now. And so to your point uh, earlier, Jerry, like, you know, when you're trying to survive, you can't be creative. And that was absolutely the thing. It's like I was, you know, mostly unemployed for many, many months, but like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't be creative because anytime I sat down on my computer, I was like, well, I better check LinkedIn. Well, I better, you know, panic text everyone that I know. And this time I am, I'm very lucky that I have spent a lot of time putting money into savings so that I would have some flexibility and some breathing room. And I have that. And so for the first time ever, I am unemployed, but not immediately panicking about that state. It feels really good. And I have a lot of projects that I'm working on right now. And, you know, it's kind of exciting to get to just focus on that and not have to wake up and respond to annoying emails. (laughs) I only have to respond to the emails I want to respond to. It's amazing. The freedom. (laughs) I think I'm hoping for you and Christina can speak, whether it was her experience or not, too. But you realize how much more just space and energy you have for other things. You know, when when you Mm -hmm. are in such a demanding position and Mm -hmm. at first it's difficult because you're so used to having that, that you want to fill it with something else. But I guess anything, I, I, I don't ever feel like I'm a good person to give advice to anybody because my career and life have been all over the place. But I would say like, don't put pressure on yourself to fill that space with stuff to be productive. Just like reconnect with what you want and like away from the pressure if you can yeah no i i'm already feeling that way i mean i definitely have spent a little bit too much time being unproductive and playing skyrim so like maybe i should pull back a little (laughs) bit from that but it feels really good i'm excited it's you know it everything happens for a reason if you want to believe that i definitely believe in this case it did and i feel excited for what comes next whatever that may be Mm-hmm. I'm excited for you too. Me too. Yeah. I'm excited for all of us. We're out. We got out. <laughs> so on that delightful note, you can um, join we, the support group. Now. I know. Yeah. Yes. Well, now I, I it's kind of fun because I'm like officially a part of the Seaton Spark alumni crew now. Because like I, you know, Jerry, you and I never actually worked together. You like half hired me, and then you left, and, I, and then I got <laughs> finished being hired by a fully different person. But like, I'm so glad that we know each other, and like, yeah. there's tons of other people from Seaton Spark, like Julie Keck, who I never officially worked with, but am you know friends with and, and colleagues with, and it's like that's honestly the best part of this job is all the people that had already left that I get to still be friends with and the Mm -hmm. people who got laid off alongside me who I still have a group chat with and like love those people like it is I'm I feel very lucky to have met all the people that I did through this job and I'm excited to continue to find combinations of ways to hang out and work together in the future yeah that's one of the blessings of that place with some of the people that you get to come and cro- come across and work with that you wouldn't have otherwise um yeah with you with christina with people like mia and nicole like that, that's all been blessings in their own way absolutely yeah po- power positive thinking <laughs> hot filmmaker summer let's go <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much
much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about Kelsey and Kaylee, as always, plus our wonderful guest, Jerry Maravilla, are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, our $10 supporters on Patreon, Brandy Nicole Payne and Kelsey Rauber. If you want your name on that list and to have access to our bonus resources related to each and every episode, including this one, you should subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. Next episode, we're going to be covering minimum viable crews for producing indie films and whether or not Christina and I will ever go back to short films. So tune in then and we will speak to you soon.